You're listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome everyone to the Pines Church online experience. My name is Matt Joy. I am the lead pastor here, and I am so excited that you have decided to spend the next 30 minutes and change with us as we study God's Word. For those of you that are joining us, maybe for the very first time, we are in the middle of a series titled Blind Spots, because we all got them, right? A blind spot is an area that we are unaware of, but that we may be missing the mark on. And so it's important, as Paul admonished us, to examine ourselves. Also, this is why we do community with one another, because friends and family, brothers and sisters, see us from a different angle. Therefore, they can highlight and spot things that may be hindering our walk with God. And so we opened up the series talking about the idea of self-sabotage, that many of us put up walls in areas where we were wounded or where we were offended so that we never have to experience that pain again. The problem is God can't heal what you conceal. Therefore, we stunt our growth and our maturity. So it's so important that we remove those walls and we invite the Holy Spirit into those spaces and places of our lives so that he can bring healing and by, as a result, maturity and growth. And then we talked about the power of forgiveness. It's a central theme of the gospel and we know that we should forgive others but often one of the most difficult people to forgive is ourselves but not forgiving ourselves is the trojan horse of denying christ's atonement because the bible says when we repent of our sin when we confess it to him it's as far as the east is to the west that love keeps no record of right and wrong so therefore when we hold this list against ourselves, it's an indicator, a red flag, whatever label you want to put on it, that we haven't fully received God's love for us. Therefore, we can only, we can only give what we got, right? And if we haven't been able to forgive ourselves, then we can't truly forgive others. And then last week, we talked about the subject of worry, that worry is idolatry. Uh, idolatry in the, in the Western civilization and culture, we typically think of, oh, you're bowing down and you're worshiping the sun, the moon, and the stars, or some wooden image. So then when we read scripture, we just, we just brush by all of that because we say, well, that's not for me in this day and age. But again, idolatry is anything you give your strength to and draw your strength from. It's anything that takes the place of God. So good things can become idols in your life. Your marriage can become an idol, okay? Your work can become an idol. Ministry, church can become an idol. And typically, I find that worry is a way for the enemy to kind of weasel his way into Christians' lives. And, and worry really is a perversion of faith. It's like, it's like the opposite of faith. It's like faith moving backwards. And so we have to identify those areas where we've picked up and tried to be Lord of our life and lay them down at the foot of the cross, trusting that God has a plan, trusting that God is going to be the one to part the sea, trusting and activating our faith 
to believe the promises of his word, right? And to move forward because fear, worry, freezes, faith moves. And so today we're going to be talking about another subject that I find is a blind spot for many believers. I've struggled in this area. And as really all you have to do is go on social media to see that many people struggle in this area. And that is the idea of self-pity. Okay. Psychiatrists report to us that issues stemming from self-pity are an all-time high. Okay. Due largely to a society that's absolutely consumed with self. Think about all marketing. It's directed to you. What are you doing to yourself? What are you doing to build yourself, to better yourself? Um, and in a universe, in, in social media, think about it. your social media platform makes you the epicenter of the universe. So all your friends come to the throne of your platform to leave comments, encouragement. And so real quick, we can use something that's supposed to connect us and it can become an idol in our lives. And so many psychiatrists tell us um, that we can come to a place with self-pity that we actually begin to enjoy it. We actually begin to draw um, strength for it. And um, it's where we habitually indulge in fantasies of being treated unfairly, where we are the victim. Many, in fact, psychiatrists tell us have a Rolodex. I know that's kind of an outdated term, but a Rolodex was like, um, it held like everybody's contact information and you would, it had like their phone number and their address and you kept everybody's stuff in there. But the point is that psychiatrists tell us with outdated information that many of us have a Rolodex, keep an inventory of all the things that were done to us negatively, of all the things that were said to us, and that we, from time to time throughout the day, indulge in fantasies of living there. Do you see how toxic that is? In fact, John Gardner said this, hear these words, self-pity is easily the most destructive of the non-pharmaceutical narcotics. It is addictive, gives momentary pleasure, and separates the victim from reality. When we choose, what a powerful statement. I mean, think about it. He likens it to a narcotic, that it's addictive, right? And that it actually gives momentary pleasure, all right? And it separates us from reality because why we're drumming up the past experiences of things that were said to us and things that were done to us therefore inhibiting our ability to be in the present and to move forward you see i want to make this statement okay and many of this is why it's a blind spot for so many believers and that is this self-pity is nothing more than repackaged pride, okay? Now, many people don't think of pride as that. Why? Because they think of pride in the traditional sense of arrogance, right? Um, if If you look at it, you say, like, typically, someone would view pride through this lens, okay? I deserve recognition, I deserve praise, I deserve your attention because I've accomplished so much, because I've done so much. But flip the script and think about self-pity. Self-pity demands the same thing. 
It says, I deserve your recognition. I deserve your praise. I deserve your attention because I've gone through so much, because I've had so much done to me. It's repackaged pride. It's the same thing. It's like the keto and Atkins diet. It's the same thing. It's just repackaged, right? So the enemy knows that most of us are on guard, that we're not going to boast, that we're not going to be braggadocious, that we're not going to just sit there and talk about ourselves all day. At least we're on guard for that. But so what does the enemy do? He takes pride, right? Because the Bible warns that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So the enemy knows that. So the enemy's going to try to get you to bite on this pride, but guess what? You're not familiar. You're not, you're used to that bait. You understand what it looks like and you're trying to avoid it. Most Christians, in fact, most people in general know that that's not acceptable behavior. So what does the enemy do? He takes pride and he repackages it in self-pity. And then what we do, because it's a blind spot, many of us pick that up and we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. Think about it, your average everyday conversation or when you jump on social media. Well, my car wouldn't start. I'm stuck out in the middle of nowhere. My boss doesn't appreciate me. Okay, and on and on and on. And then people come because misery loves company and they sympathize with you or they feed that pride without even knowing that they're feeding that pride. I feel so bad for you. You have it so hard. You're amazing. I can't believe you're going through all this, which is why we share those woes on social media because we want that attention, okay? So many of us would go on there and brag and somebody would be able to look at that and say, man, they just want attention. They're always bragging about what they do. So people have, have kind of been alerted to that, so they avoid that. So what's the other way for them to get their dose of pride, right? They start to feel sorry for themselves. They start to verbally vomit all of the things that have happened to them and have said about them and the things that they've gone through and they get their dose of pride because people come running in droves. Oh, I can't believe that happened. Can't believe you're going through that. It's pride and God resists the proud, okay? Man, that is so good, dude. That, that, that revelation alone will set you free. Now, I want to say this. The Bible clearly commands us to die to ourselves and invites us to be alive in Christ. So the fact that we need something outside of God is an indicator that we haven't fully crucified or died to our flesh. This means that we, when we die to ourselves, we die to stress, we die to anxiety, we die to depression, and we transcend to a higher purpose. That doesn't mean that we don't go through adversity. That doesn't mean that we face opposition. We don't deny our circumstances. Rather, we're not defined by them. In fact, as you become a believer, as you die to yourself, you're going to face more persecution. But God promises us a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that cannot be defined by human logic, uh, that's free from the entanglement of this world. 
Now, I want to share this because I, when, when someone, someone actually showed me the scripture and as I started to dive into it, the Holy Spirit just illuminated this to me in God's word. I'd never seen it before. And honestly, I'd never even heard anybody preach on it before. So this example that I'm about to give you is going to substantiate everything that I just shared with you about self-pity. Because we don't talk about it nearly enough in the church or in society as a whole. Remember when Jesus was uh, preparing his disciples that he was about to be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles, that he was going to give up his life, that he was going to be crucified. And here comes Peter, all big and bad. And he says this, this is out of the King James, far be it from you, Lord, that this shall ever happen to you. Do you guys remember that when you read in scripture, you watched, um, you know, you watched the Jesus story. All right. Well, in the Greek, Peter actually said this, listen to this, far be it from you, Lord, pity yourself. Satan through Peter was trying to get Jesus to pity himself or to feel sorry for himself, which could have tempted him not to go to the cross because Jesus, this was already a temptation Jesus was facing because he said in the garden of Gethsemane, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, take it. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It was not Jesus's will to go to the cross, but he submitted his life to his father and he was obedient to the calling that the father had placed on his life. So the enemy knew that this was a temptation for Jesus. And he tried to move in through Peter to get Jesus to feel sorry for himself, which again, self-pity is pride to step out of God's, the Father's divine calling to live for himself. This is why Jesus rebuked Peter stronger than any other disciple he had rebuked. He literally said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Do you see how Jesus saw self-pity? How Jesus saw feeling sorry for yourself? He knew it was repackaged pride that the enemy through Peter was trying to get into his life and that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So he quickly rebuked. And interestingly enough, if you go back in the wilderness when Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights and the enemy tried to get Jesus, why don't you just go ahead and jump off here because God will send his angels lest you dash your foot on a stone, getting him, trying to tempt him. And Jesus said to Satan, get away from me, Satan. So here he is rebuking Satan when Satan's got, trying to get Jesus to step into pride. So he didn't swallow that pill. So now the enemy's trying through Peter to get him to swallow the same pill, but repackaged through self-pity. And he rebukes Satan and he rebukes Peter with the same exact words. See, we cannot be casual with feeling sorry for ourselves, with, with worry or with, with, with self-pity when Jesus looked at it as an affront to, to him stepping into the fullness of what God intended for his life. Hebrews 12, 5 in the message says, do not feel sorry 
for yourselves. And it's interesting, as we read that definition of John Gardner, there is a momentary satisfaction that we can draw from that. And we keep running to that. They say heroin addicts called chasing the dragon. You never get as high as you got the first time that you shot up. Well, it's, it's, it's almost like a similar thing. We run back to feeling sorry for ourselves because we get this little dopamine fix. And you know what it is? It's pride. See, listen to A.W. Tozer. This is crazy. A.W. Tozer said this, self, whether swaggering or groveling, can never be anything but hateful to God. Boasting is an evidence that we are pleased with self, belittling that we are disappointed with self. But the moment you have a self at all, there's a possibility of putting yourself first, of wanting to be the center. Remember what I said about social media? Wanting to be God. In fact, that was the sin of Satan. That was the sin he taught the human race. Honestly, self-pity, this is the reason why many of us aren't growing and maturing. It's why we wrestle with our thought life because we simply have not come to the end of ourselves. We are still flirting and towing the line with being the Lords of our lives. Remember John the Baptist's words, I must decrease so that he may increase. Again, Satan doesn't really care if you're bragging, look at me and all I've accomplished, or feeling sorry for yourself. Look at all I've been through. Look what's been done to me. As long as you are focused on self, it yields the same result, usurping God from the throne of your heart and putting yourself there. No, there can be no mercy in the death to oneself. Martin Luther said this, until a man is nothing, God can make him nothing. So that's pretty heavy, Matt. Give us a little bit of hope here, right? That's heavy, but I had to be heavy because I had to, we're casual with it. Okay, it's so accepted in our society, and unfortunately, it's infiltrated the church, and judgment begins in the house of the Lord. I have to be firm and strong because I care. I have to speak the truth in love, but I have to be firm in this area that this is hindering us from becoming all that Christ intended us to be. It's inhibiting our relationship with God and our relationship with others. So what is the opposite of pride, okay? How do we find our way out of this? Humility. The Bible says to clothe ourselves in humility. Colossians 3.12 out of the NLT says this, since God chose you to be a holy people, he loves, you must, not you should, not you might want to think about it, said you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. How did you get dressed this morning? Okay, think about it like this. How weird would it be and awkward and just downright wrong if I came to preach and teach to you today and I wasn't wearing a shirt? I just forgot to put a shirt on. 
I just didn't even think about it. No, when I leave my house, I know that I need boxers, pants, a shirt, socks, and shoes before I ever leave my house. I need all of those items. I don't ever end up at work and say, oh, guess what? I guess I forgot my pants. Hook. I don't know why I made that noise, but like, I don't do that. None of you do that. None of you show up to work and you're like, hey, Stan, why aren't you wearing a shirt? And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot to put a shirt on today. No, you are intentional. You know when you go to your closet before you leave your home, you need these articles of clothing. Well, God is using the same words here in Colossians that we must clothe ourselves in these things. We must put on humility each and every single day. So what does humility do? Okay, because there's a lot of pre, there's a lot of different ideas of humility. It's not thinking less of yourself. I am a worm. I am worthless. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's really understanding that it's not about you, but God moving in and through you. Okay, humility, first of all, looks good on everyone. Okay, you ever find that one jean shirt? Okay, jean shirt looks good on everybody. Everybody is classic. It's always going to be in style. Looks good on girls. Looks good on guys. Jean shirt looks good on everyone. Humility looks good on everyone. Humility isn't just attractive. It's powerful. We receive God's favor when we humble ourselves or we're protected by the hand of God. We can trust his timing. We're not anxious. We're not depressed. We're not worried. We know, like really know, intimately know the love of God. We can resist the devil. We have the proper view of sin and we have eternal glory. And we know where our power comes from. We are not tempted with thinking, well, I'm a really good communicator. Well, I'm really gifted in this area. Well, I'm really smart. Okay, we're not tempted because we've already died to ourselves. We know that the, God is the one that gives the gifts. It has nothing to do with us. So when you see somebody that's crazy talented on, on, on the worship team, God gave them that gift. Yes, they had to excavate it. They had to exercise and, and put it to, to grow it and to develop it to turn the two talents into four talents, but God is the one that gives the gifts, okay? And when the, the quicker you know that, the quicker your life is going to be moving in the right track, okay? Everywhere has a dress code and humility is the dress code of the kingdom of God. Furthermore, let me just go ahead and share this so it's not some obscure scripture. In 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7, this is out of the NLT, it says this, all of you, who? All of you, preachers, teachers, pastors, evangelists, and apostles, no, all of you dress yourselves, there's that word again, in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, okay, the ones that feel sorry for themselves, the ones that indulge in self-pity, God opposes, but gives grace to the humble. What is grace? It's his divine empowerment that takes us beyond what we're capable of in the natural. It's how we can live a holy life. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. We were just talking about worry last week. The way through 
All of this is to humble ourselves. That's how we can examine ourselves and and identify those blind spots so we can get down at the core, the root, and begin to throw them out. This is my commission to you. This is what I, what I champion you on to do, is to get alone with God in your car, in your prayer closet, wherever it is, and invite, humble yourself and say, God, please highlight any areas that I am unaware of that are taking me away from the path that you've laid before me. Pray that prayer, and I promise you God will highlight those areas. And he will give you the ability to step out of them. Why? Because God gives grace to the humble. But as long as you're, if you move forward and like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I I am completely self-aware, there's nothing that anybody can bring to me, not even like taking it in and and thinking about it and saying, no, I, I think you're off in that area, but just, you just, you're so prideful that you can't receive anything. I don't have any blind spots. I I can't receive correction from anyone. My friends, that is such a scary place to be. And God has so much more for you. And I don't want you to live in that lie. I want to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I pray for every single person that's listening, watching this. I pray and I believe that as I've shared these scriptures, the Holy Spirit has illuminated different areas to them. And I ask that you would multiply your grace into their lives to be able to step out of those things, that they would be able to repent of their sin, walking away from it, having a change of mind, turning away, and that they would be able to rest in the assurance of knowing that their sin is as far as the east is to the west, and that they are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would receive all the glory as they humble themselves and their lives and their words and their actions would point people to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for spending the last 30 minutes and change with us. I hope that you got something out of this. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.